Rebels, it's that time. Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. Oh my goodness. Rebels, thank you so much for joining us. What an honor. What a treat to have you taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast and to try to improve your marriage and your parenting ability. Man, I am so blown away. I'm having the greatest week. I hope you are too. If not, please email me, help at rebelparenting.org. I would love to help. Speaking of email, two different organizations reached out today about sponsoring the podcast, and I couldn't be any more thrilled. I just couldn't be more thrilled. We love working with great organizations that help the family, that produce products that are good for you all, and that we get to sponsor the broadcast with those companies. Wow. I'm totally blown away. And I got to speak two different places this week, and one of them with Laura. I got to go to a high school, talk to a bunch of high school seniors. Laura went with me. She chimed in. Wow, I had the best time. I had so much fun talking to high schoolers about what's coming next, what you can do, what my advice is. So much fun. And then this morning, Laura and I went to a MOPS group and did our MOPS presentation. We love MOPS. We love moms of preschoolers. Laura was a MOPS mom. She was a MOPS leader. Producer Kay was a MOPS mom. That's where they met. And so, man, again, I say it. It's such the truth for me. What an honor. What a huge, huge honor that we get to go and do that. Oh, so fun. Today's broadcast, one of my favorite people, Christopher Yuan. He is an amazing, amazing guy. Dr. Christopher Yuan now. Dr. Christopher Yuan. Uh, Chris uh, was in the gay lifestyle, came to the Lord, came out of the gay lifestyle, and he is, in my belief, the best speaker on this subject. You can find him on YouTube. You can find his website. He's got some books that he's written. He is, in my belief, hands down, the best speaker on issues of LBGTQ uh, and homosexuality anywhere. So I definitely want to thank him. I also want to thank our sponsors, MyPillow, MyPillow.com, code word REBEL for a discount on a four-pack of pillows or the new Giza sheets. Who knew? Who knew sheets would make that big of a difference? They sent us sheets, and I was like, really? It's sheets. Like, we have sheets. I can't believe how great I sleep, how great they feel. It just shouldn't feel that good. I mean, I have no idea what they do, how they're made, but I love the Giza sheets. You get a huge discount with a code word REBEL. And thank you always to the Voice of the Martyrs, helping those being persecuted for our gospel for more than 50 years. Persecution.com is their website. Let's jump into the broadcast. Here is Christopher Yuan on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Christopher, thanks for joining us today. And uh, more importantly, thank you for being vulnerable. You've told your story many, many times, and I know that can be difficult, but it is also very healing to a lot of people. And this is a volatile topic and we're going to walk a tightrope today, but I know we have the exact perfect guest to be on and that's you. So thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks Ryan for having me on. Definitely. Christopher, you know, with the recent election, there's so much fear and hate and anxiety and uncertainty and stress going on with Groups in America that feel marginalized, whether it's by race or religion or gender or sexual orientation, 
there is a great outcry uh, amongst those that feel marginalized or are marginalized or feel like they're in the minority. And especially in the church, the gay community or the LBGT community is feeling marginalized. And you come from a background that identifies as gay and you're able to speak to this more clearly. Uh, And that's really why we have you on today. We want to talk about the LBGT community. How do we stand up for what we believe in or hold fast to our beliefs and yet make people feel less marginalized? So could you tell a little bit of your story and then let's jump into the conversation of how do we love our friends? How do we love our coworkers? How do we love the people in our church and in our communities next to us? Sure. You know, I I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and so maybe unlike some of your listeners, I, I didn't have own a Bible, didn't go to church, so I'm probably a lot like the neighbors, mm. your, our neighbors, and people who don't know Christ, and people who hold to a completely different worldview. Uh, my, my, from a young age, I, I wrestled with these thoughts. The first time I remember about it was when I was exposed to pornography at nine years old, at, at a good friend's house, mm. at a trusted family friend's house found it you know, underneath the, the sink, and, and, you know, my parents, it was my my father's best friend, and they, they had no idea. So that was the first time that I remember. It wasn't a cause, but probably more, more as a catalyst, but I kept those feelings hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps Reserves. In my oh, early wow. 20s, that's when I finally came out, which is a little bit later than normal, mm-hmm. than, than today. And I came out of the closet. I decided I was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry in Louisville, Kentucky. I went home after a year of dental school, and I I decided to come out to my parents. And I told them, I am gay. And, you know, it was actually my declaration. I'm like, this is who I am. you got to accept it. My mom and dad, they weren't Christian, and my mom thought she could give me an ultimatum. And she said, you've got to either choose the family or choose that. She couldn't even even say it. She couldn't even say gay. Well, this wasn't a choice. Wow. She could, I mean... You know, and 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 maybe in her mind she didn't even know it. I mean, she didn't yeah. know what the word was either, sure. or so she just she just that. When you come of a very traditional <laughs> background, um, yeah, are you first generation American? Very first generation. So my parents mm-hmm. came from China uh, through Taiwan, came here to to U.S. for graduate school. So I'm first generation here. And though we didn't know God, very the Chinese were very family oriented, mm-hmm. and so it was all about the family, and family was everything, almost a god in a sense. And, and I would say, in many cases, it is a god uh, for many Asians, especially Asian mothers. Well, for me, this wasn't a choice. I left home, devastated my mom, mm-hmm. and my unfortunately, there's some backstory with my parents and their marriage. They they were had their everything was kind of falling apart after years of living as non-Christians. Their marriage was a wreck, so they were about to get a divorce. So my mom was literally at the end of a rope, and she was actually going to end her life. She had already decided this is it. No more reason to live, family falling apart, marriage falling apart. But amazingly, this is what's so just so wonderful about how God works, is that through the deepest, darkest moment, God entered into her, into her world. Wow. And, and through a little pamphlet that she got on homosexuality, it shared with the gospel, and she gave her life to Christ. Wow. I mean, it was totally 180, turn around. My father, within a few months, becomes a Christian. Well, I kept going in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. I was in dental school, but I also was on the weekends going out and partying. And, and and going out to the clubs, unfortunately began doing drugs. And, 
you know, Ryan and Laura, I need to be clear that not all gays and lesbians do drugs. Some do, <laughs> some don't, you know. But, yeah. you know, just, just some people who aren't in the gay community. Totally. Many right. non-Christians, they go out and party, do drugs, and that's just what they do. Yeah. And many so don't. And many, yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, we can't stereotype everyone, but unfortunately that is part of my story, and I want to tell my whole story, but I also want to tell people that if you encounter the living Jesus Christ, truly encounter him, he will impact every aspect of your life. So I began experimenting with drugs. I unfortunately began selling drugs while I was a dental student, and eventually I got expelled from dental school. Mm. And weren't you right about to graduate? I mean, you were way at the end of your schooling. I was three months. Three three months? Three months before I was about to graduate, yeah. So I moved to Atlanta, further away, you know, from Chicago, where we're from, into the South, and and I kept doing what I knew how to do best, and that was sell drugs. My parents had no clue. They kept reaching out to me. I wanted nothing to do with it. They even came to visit me one time in Atlanta. And before my and I told them to get out. I had enough. Mm. They weren't preaching at me, you know. Oftentimes, what you know, parents feel like they have to do. I have to have to remind my kids what what I, what we believe and right. remind my kids what God's truth is. And my parents didn't do any of that. Wow. But just the fact that their lives radiated Christ that was offensive to me. I told them to get out. My dad, before he left, gave me his very first Bible, and they walked out. And I, and as soon as they left, I took my dad's Bible and I threw in the trash. Hmm. That's how much I hated God. Wow. I wanted nothing to do with their religion. And it was so obvious to my parents that I was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. But my parents committed not to focus upon the hopelessness, not to get consumed with my downward spiral, but they focused upon the promises of God. Wow. Along with over 100 prayer words, my mom began to pray a bold prayer, God, do whatever. Mm whatever it takes. And that's a bold prayer for a mother, actually a Chinese mother to make. Oh, yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> she was desperate. Yeah. Desperate. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for seven years, oh. even fasted 39 days on my behalf. Wow. That is you, you know, the movie War Room. Yeah. And the, the novelization of that movie War Room, written by Chris Baby, was actually dedicated to my mom. Oh. You know, we, you just, she would be relentless. Yeah. And, well, that's even God, how she found you know, the Lord. She, she got a pamphlet on homosexuality that had the gospel in it. She was seeking you and found the Lord. Yeah. You know, your dad was exactly. seeking you, and they both found the Lord. That's a beautiful, beautiful example of parenting. Hmm. Exactly. You know, oftentimes, you know, when we talk to parents who are so racked with guilt about, about their gay son or daughter, mm-hmm. and, and, and unfortunately the culture, and sometimes I think the church places more more guilt and blame upon them that somehow, you know, oh, father wasn't there long enough and they were absent, or maybe the mother, you know, and, and I do believe that that has an effect on a child, but that's not the cause. And, you know, you know, perfect parenting does not, does not uh, guarantee perfect children. Right. You know, <laughs> right. I, I tell people that the job of a Christian parent is not to produce godly children, but the job of a Christian parent is to be godly parents. There's a big difference. The pressure is, is not on us to produce perfect or godly children. It's upon us to be godly parents, and the rest is up to God. And so my parents, you know, they just cried out to God. They knew that, that it was only God who could change a heart. They were only responsible for their own lives, and, and that's still a big responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. They cried out to God, and God did answer that prayer. It came with a bang on my door. I opened up my door, and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement oh. agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd oh, no. dogs. 
So I was caught red-handed, yeah. and I, I, they confiscated all my money and my drugs, and I was charged with a street value equivalent of 9.1 tons what? of marijuana. Oh, no. Which I think in Colorado is legal, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> not that much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to spread it out over a so few days, I, but it's something like that. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So I, I mean, you had to be facing serious, serious jail time, though. With that much, I mean, oh, you could have... I was facing ten years to life. Yeah, and in federal prison, not state prison, right, but right, federal right. prison. That's a huge, huge charge. Yeah, and, and, and people always ask, "How could you get that much in, in in your apartment?" Well, the reality is, in the federal system, they make everything yep. equivalent to marijuana. Oh. So I didn't have barely any marijuana. It was all crystal methamphetamine, which, by weight, is is much more, uh, you know. Stronger uh, of a sentence than than marijuana, so I found myself in jail. Christopher, I gotta ask. I'm I'm sure you've spoken to your mom about this, but your mom is praying to the Lord, Lord, anything, Lord, whatever it takes, Lord, do whatever it takes. I want to spend eternity with my son. At any point when you were arrested and going to jail or prison, where did she have any moment going? Oh wait, I mean. Oh, Lord, I, I don't want him to come back. I just don't want to come back like this. You know, was there ever a moment of hesitation where she went, oh, no, wait, I've made a mistake? You know, that's the, that's the thing. And, and you know, because first of all, you know, people don't realize, I mean, how much I put my mother through. So, I mean, it was it was just, it was hell for my mom. Yeah, yeah. And, and so she was just desperate. And I think just in, in your desperation, it requires desperate measures. Yeah. So she knew that it wasn't going to be just something small. You know, my mom even prayed, you know, God, if it even takes, you know, him being on his deathbed, that he's finally at his rock bottom, you know, yeah. whatever. She really did completely give it up. And I think that's very, very, very hard mm-hmm. for mothers, mm-hmm. very, very hard for parents. I, I would say especially for mothers. But um, we can't, as my mother often talks, we can't put our son or daughter on the altar as Abraham did with Isaac, and then take our daughter and son back off the altar. we got to leave our, our mm. child on that altar and allow God to provide the lamb that he did and, and provide mm. the way out. So, you know, my, I, I called, so this is, this is so telling of what happened. I, I called home, and I didn't want to call home. Yeah. That was, you know, we all get a phone call. <laughs> and my, I was just expecting an earful from my mom. Right. You know, this, what did you do? You deserve to be where you are, but whatever. I it told is. you I so. Yeah, I told you so. And my mother's first words were, are you okay? Mm. No oh. condemnation, no berating words, just words of unconditional love. I love grace. your mom. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's the best, too. <laughs> I do, too. Yeah. We love your mom. You know, so I, uh, you know, I, I began, you know, it was those words that 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 began to draw me to him, to my to himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a few days later, that I was walking around the cell block, passed by a garbage can, and I was thinking, this, you know, I just, you know, just destroyed my life. Yeah. Passed by a garbage can, I thought, this is my life. This totally is my life. Trash. I'm from upper middle class suburb of Chicago. My dad's got two doctorates. I was three months away from getting my own doctorate, and here I am in jail mm. among common criminals. So I passed by, I was about to pass by that garbage can, and there was something on top of the trash that caught my eye. I went back, bent over, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. 
Mm. Took it back to my cell. It was in the jailhouse garbage. It. it was in the jailhouse garbage wow. on top of all the filthy trash. Someone had just placed it there, so it wasn't, I didn't even have to dig. I mean, it was, and it was even a brand new one. What? Took it back to my cell, and I began reading it. I opened that book, and that night I read through the entire Gospel of Mark. But, you know, I didn't think this is the Word of God. I wasn't even thinking, yeah. you know, here's some right. answer to my problem. Actually, I just thought, I've got tons of time on my hands, <laughs> and i got to pass it somehow. But, you know, the reality is, words on our, the pages of our book, yeah. uh, the Bible. They're not just ink on paper, but as God's Word tells us, they are the very breath of God. And they began to convict me, and they began to point out my sin. And, you know, I, I realized I rebelled not, against, not just against my government, not just against my parents, but against a holy God. And I was thinking to myself, you know what, this is not good news. People say this is good news. Well, this wasn't good news for me. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I thought, well, how how worse could this could things get? Well, it got worse. Mm. Mm. I was called to the nurse's office two weeks later, and the nurse gave me news that I was HIV positive. Oh. So that was the deepest, darkest moment. I went back to my cell, uh, cell block, and um, Christopher, what year was this? Just, this was nineteen, the end of nineteen ninety eight. Actually, right around Christmas. Actually, this mm. right around this time. 1998. Wow. So I, uh, there's one night I was laying in my bed. I mean, just like, how worse could things get? I, I was just sentenced. You know, I, I was actually kind of thinking, oh, I'm going to get out of this. I'm, this is my first offense. The judge is just going to give me some, you know, probation or something. And I got six six years, which is actually better than 10 years to life. Yeah. But, but it's still I, six I was years. Devastated. Yeah. It's still six years. I mean, you know, and I was 28 years old, so six years, I'm thinking, that's that's a lifetime. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's right. what you think when you're that young. Mm. And uh, I was like, what What in the world? Um, lay in my bed. I looked up at the metal bunk above me, and someone had scribbled something, and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. What? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, and it could have been any verse in the Bible, but God knew that those were the very words that I needed to hear penned by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, mm -hmm. Israel, to tell me, tell me, Christopher Yuan, me, 1998, that regardless of who I was, what I had done in my past, he still a plan for me. Mm. I don't know where that plan is going to take me, but God gave me a faith to get through that next day and the next and the next. So my journey after that was pretty gradual. I mean, I realized that, you know, I had put my identity in the wrong thing. Yeah. I, you know, I am gay. This is who I am, not what I feel, not what I do. This is not what are my, my desires, nor what, even my strong attractions for another person or, or, the, or the same sex. This is who I am. And I realized that as I read through God's Word that I had put my identity in wrong things. Sexuality is not who I am. It's what I experience, but it's still not who I am. And I realized that my identity has to be in God Himself. I'm an image-bearer of God. My identity needs to be in Jesus mm. Christ alone. Yeah. And uh, and I and I knew that you know God says be holy for I am holy, you know for the longest time I had put my identity uh, you know I had thought that as a Christian you had to become straight you had to be heterosexual right I mean that's what 
you know, heterosexuality is normal, heterosexuality is God's standard for humanity, but I realized that, you know, even if I had heterosexual feelings, and even if they were exclusive heterosexual feelings, as a man of God, I would still need to resist lust. I would still need to flee temptation. Mm-hmm. I would still need to put to death my sin nature every day. So heterosexuality is not the goal. God doesn't say, be heterosexual, for I am heterosexual. But neither did he say, be homosexual, for I am homosexual. God said, be holy, for I am holy. So the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That's not the goal. But, and the, but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of any sin struggle is holiness. Yeah. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm still tempted or not, mm. because we all are tempted. Jesus himself was tempted. Uh, I need to focus upon what I do with those temptations. So change isn't the absence of temptations, but change is the ability to be holy even in the midst of temptations. Mm. And I think that was a transformation. That wasn't day and night. It took me about a year of you know in prison to come to that recognition that actually, you know, I, I, I'm reading through... Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship. Mm. And we cannot just come to a cheap grace. Yeah. Following, you know, I mean, yes, justification is nothing on it. I mean, God, God gives that to us freely. He's the one that woos us. But we can't just say, okay, I'm saved, and then that, that's it. No, I mean, this grace is costly, first of all, from the front end, in that God gave his only begotten Son. But on the back end, in that, that now that we're a follower of Christ, we will be led into good works. We will automatically, the, the result of that, the good fruit of that, is holy living. And, and that's costly. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's costly to follow Jesus. Mm. It's costly to, to leave your nets behind. It's, it's costly to pick up your cross, deny yourself daily, and follow him. But that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I, I often tell people, following Jesus should cost us everything. Mm. And if it hasn't, Maybe we're following the wrong Jesus. Wow. Yeah. We agree. We do. It's a, it is definitely costly. I mean, the long story short, since then, you've gotten out of prison, you went to Moody, you've got your PhD, yeah. you're a professor. Now, I mean, this is it, is, it is really an amazing transformation, but it's why it gives you license and it gives you expertise into speaking into this issue of marginalization, of ostracizing people, um, you know, for how they identify things like that. When did you start noticing the gay community felt ostracized, it felt marginalized? Um, at what point did you think, you know what, we really ought to be doing something a little bit different, or we should be doing what we're doing a little bit better? Well, you know, I mean, it definitely was, even before I became a Christian, I, I wasn't a believer, and I had these feelings from, from, from a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that I don't believe that I was born that way, but I do believe I'm a born sinner. I'm born with a sin nature, and that sin nature expresses itself differently at different times. And so, you know, I, I, I had these experiences of attractions for the same sex, and I was petrified to tell anyone about it. I wasn't going to tell my parents. And though I wasn't a Christian, I, I felt uh, um, condemnation sure. from Christians, mm-hmm. and and some of that is through media and the way the media might portray us. But but you know, as much as we can 
point the finger at media, it's still a reality. Yeah. It, it is still a phenomenon that we can't get past. It's, it, that, that is how we're perceived, sure. and we could say, well, that perception isn't true, and, and I, I do agree. Those perceptions aren't true of the way that Christians are characterized, at least, at least myself. I, I, I might look at other people who might say they're Christian, and they certainly don't. I, I would not say there's fruit in their life, but they claim to be Christian, and, and that could be true, that they do express hatred toward the gay community, but but the people that I know who are following Christ and dying to self daily, that isn't true, but perception is people's reality. Sure, sure. So as a young age, that's when I realized that, that I, there is is stigma. Uh, we can't ignore that, and, and there is even stigma in the Church, even, even strong Bible-believing evangelical churches because this is so volatile, and maybe we don't want to, uh, you know, open up a can of worms, or we don't, um, you know, want to hurt people's feelings, we, we don't say much about it, and when we do, it might be just more of a political conversation and little about mm-hmm. a pastoral conversation. And that, that, the result of that is that it, it gives the impression that this is something that we can't talk about. Hmm. How would you encourage, say, like moms listening, how would you encourage people just to even start to bridge that gap? You know, I, I think, first of all, we need to, we need to talk more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think as <laughs> mothers and fathers, we need to talk. You know, um, my best friend, uh, we roomed together at Moody, uh, and I was his best man at his wedding, He's got a family and three kids. Oldest is nine. Uh, second is, I think, seven. And then youngest is uh, maybe six or four or five. Anyway, uh, this good friend of mine um, just had this conversation with his kids, nine and seven, which was great. Uh, you know, he just, a few months ago, and, and talking about pornography and talking about sex and sexuality, you know, just at, at age appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. And he just, he just told me uh, just this week, he said his wife, was with the kids, and they were just at the library. And she was going, you know, going to look for a book uh, on her own, and the kids were doing their thing in the library, you know, in the kids' section. And then the two boys came to her, and she could see on their face something was, you know, not right. Mm-hmm. And the, the the oldest boy told the mom, said, Mom, uh, Joey or whoever, you know, one of his classmates who happened to be at the library as well, just showed me a bad picture on on, on the computer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it was pornography yep. at the library, of course, because libraries they don't they don't block anything, which I think is just negligent. I, I don't want to get into that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's 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 horrible. Yeah. I mean, I almost think it can be even criminal in my mind. I, think I it's mean, criminal. it's, it's horrible. That yeah. it, it's awful. It's awful. You know, it, in in the in the light of autonomy and freedom and of uh, freedom of speech, and we don't want to censor anything. Let's expose our kids to pornography. I mean, even pedophilia. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, maybe they, they they might draw the line there because they're really moral. They draw the line on pedophilia, but uh, I mean, it's awful. And and but but I'm so glad that you know, my best friend, he had that conversation. Mm-hmm. And to think, uh, what what often, um, I, I, I sometimes, I, I want to grab parents and, and, and shake them a bit and say, no, the question is not, when is it too soon to c- talk to my kids about sex and sexuality? The question now, more than ever, mm-hmm. is when is it too late? Oh, yeah. 
when is it too late? Huh. Kids, are, I mean, kindergarten, there's already curriculum that parents don't need to even know about that's in there. But, and even a teacher can't even say, oh, you know, we all have two mommies, or, you know, someone can have two mommies and daddies. That's not part of the curriculum. That's just a comment that, that parents don't know about. So wouldn't we want our kids to first hear about sex at home? Yeah. Okay. Not in the public school, yeah. not uh, from television, not in a library on on those computers, not on the playground, not in the locker room, but at home. But today, kids, even ourselves, I mean, if we think, when was the first time we heard about it? You know, right. it, most likely for most, it, it wasn't. I mean, you know, your your dad probably had those talks, but I mean, he's experienced on that. Yeah, but yeah. most parents, yeah. I think, w- did not. He's and the exception that for is sure. really tragic. Yep, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Christopher. Um, so having conversations is important. Definitely. Okay. Awesome. Here, here's one that I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Uh, I was watching the Science Channel on uh, our Apple TV the other day. We were watching how to build everything, and they were building a Mars rover. So it's as sciencey as you can possibly get. And I don't know if that's because <laughs> it's on Apple TV or whatever it was, but there's two commercials that played back-to-back every commercial break. I don't remember one of them. The other one was L'Oreal, So Lashy, Eyelash... Is that mascara, hon? Yeah. Yeah, mascara. And the mm-hmm. commercial starts with a late teen, early 20 boy with uh, full uh, makeup and, you know, over made up, you know. Yeah. It was done on purpose. It was it was very, not gaudy, it was just overly done makeup and his hair was colored mm-hmm. and, you know, he's a little flamboyant. Mm-hmm. How do we have conversations? I feel like I'm stepping on landmines. I feel like I'm walking on cracked eggs. I think so many people feel that way. It's like, listen, I love you. I don't know how to love you right now, but I really do. And I want you to know that I love you. Whether I agree with you or not, I love you. I don't know what to say. I feel awkward. I got my kids here. I'm trying to raise kids and this is confusing. How do you even breach that subject? I mean, I really do want to know. I want to jump in. I want to get in. you know, give us a couple of minutes of this. We're going to have to end the program, but let's do the bonus episode to really kind of dig in. What are the words we use? How do we say, I know you feel marginalized and I know, I mean, listen, I'm Ryan Dobson. How much more on the right-wing conservative, you know, side could people perceive me? Clearly people perceive me as hateful at times and I'm, I'm tired of it. I want to, you know, handle those differently. So how do I jump into that conversation? I think first, First, the best place to start is, is kind of just the, the posture, the attitude that you're taking now, like a posture of humility. Mm. Like, I want to learn. I want to learn from you mm. and, and actually tell people that. Just say, you know what, this is, I, I would love to hear more about your story and your journey and your, and your kid's journey and, and, and help me learn more about you. Mm. Like, you don't, have, you don't have to say, you know, I want to learn more about homosexuality or I, I want to learn more about transgenders. You know, just, just make it very, I, I want to learn more about... Mm you know, mm. whatever the child's name, and, and use the, the the child's name. If the child used to be Mary, you know, then, you know, if for, for the sake of conversation, um, you know, and, 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 and there's debate about that when it comes to names. I mean, we're, we're just talking about Come on, it's okay, here, right? Like, honestly, I, I want people to settle down. If you used to be Mary and you identify as John, it, just because I call you John doesn't make you John, but I can call you John. I think it's okay. I mean, if you have friends that identify trans, you call them what their new name is, right? I mean, isn't that just I, I, out of respect? You know, we're, there's, 
We, it, it, it's, it's such a fine line. I mean, mm. because especially when, when, when uh, I, I, I usually tell people it is, uh, I think it depends kind of on the situation. I would pray about it. Mm. But, you know, it's, if it's someone, for example, if it's a parent, okay, well, let's just say your situation. You have a friend and your neighbor or your, you know, you have your group of friends from school, your kid's school, and they're just playing and, and let's say 80% of them are unbelievers. So right. we're not going to expect them to to have the Christian worldview that we do, and we can't at every moment say, well, I don't, I don't believe that, I don't do that, I don't, yeah. you know, and, and I want you to know that I don't approve of that, that you guys are living together and, and you're not married but you have kids, and I, don't wa- I, I just want you to know that I, I don't, you know, whatever it is. You know, yeah, I, I think that's unnecessary. I don't like the movies you watch, yeah. whatever, the whole list yeah. that, that we can go down. Obviously, we can all go 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 through those lists. So I, I think in those situations, for the sake of building relationship, for the sake of the gospel, which I think must be pri- you know primary, I want to meet people where they're at. With that being said, with parents, with a mother, which we minister to a lot with, because of just the, the uniqueness of my parents and, and my ministry sure. together, our ministry together, that we get a lot of parents that come to us, and for them it is really really hard to to get to that point to mm. a, a child mm-hmm. that came out of their womb and that they named John is now 20 years later or 15 years later wanting to be called Joan yeah. that's hard i mean really hard for a mom so a few things that we tell mom i mean especially if if the kid is saying you have to do this one thing that I would say is tell the kid, you know, explain to the kid first how long did it take for you to process to get to where you're at, yeah. you know, to, to realize, to come to the understanding of your gender, you know, or, or your, your gender dysphoria. And oftentimes it's not overnight. It's usually years. And say, well, you know, you know, I love you. My, my, and they don't want to be called son or daughter, so my child, my kid. Right. Make it child and kid is, you know, is, is neutral. You know, I love you, and just know that you're expecting me to be where you're at in a moment where it took you, you know, years. But also, when it comes to parents, I think it's okay. What what I would do is come to a medium, middle point. Yeah. And and to say, you know, for Chinese, it's a little easier because you could say, well, how about if I call you by your Chinese name? But most people don't have Chinese (laughs) names. So, uh, but, but what you could do is, you know, well, how about, let's just, can I call you J, the letter J? And that's well, you know, as we move into this and come to middle ground, I think, I think that's okay because it is to to come to that point and change. Sure. I'm so glad you're doing this, Christopher. I really do appreciate it. You know, it's funny my palms sweat a little bit. I feel so awkward when I'm doing this, but I do like. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like where you're going. That's a great one because that's a great conversation to have with people. Um, if you're joining us, we've been talking to Christopher Yuan. He wrote the book, Out of a Far Country. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about his latest book, Giving a Voice to the Voiceless. Um, and we're talking about uh, when your child comes out to you or says, I'm struggling with my gender, or I think maybe identify with uh, a different gender than I was born with. And in your asking, well, how long did it take you to reach this decision? And then relating in a loving way, you're asking me to be where you are in a moment that took you years. Let's come to some common ground. I feel like, you know, especially when you're dealing with teenagers or, you know, even in twenties, we're in this volatile time, there's hormones, there's all these things going on. And, and we're also in a culture that 
really does value self above all else. And so um, that does make it a little bit trickier. It does. Yeah. And, and, you know, and often, um, even when it comes down to pronouns, you know, I think the, when it, when it is, if it's an adult and say, I want you to use she instead of he, uh, and that can be hard for a person, not in the sense that they might not, you know, even if they want to, because you've done it for so long as the other pronoun, it is hard to switch over and change. Oh, Christopher, I've done that. I absolutely have. So have I. Yeah, of yeah. course. And it was yeah, a huge it, accident. It, and <laughs> I felt horrible. And then you end up saying he, she, yeah. she, he, you know, and then it, hey, dude, and then it man, just makes it worse. I mean, sorry, bro, bro no, yeah. not, oh, hey, you. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. stepped all over my so, own what? tongue, eaten my own shoe. Yeah. I feel terrible. And then I feel like I've done, in a way, irreparable damage. What What do I then yeah. do? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I think there's there's ways around it. And, and, and I think when it comes to the pronouns, I think this is a little bit easier, especially for people who, you know, who would have trouble with, with the name change. Uh, because when it comes to pronouns, actually there, it is possible for us to avoid pronouns altogether. Uh, first of all, when I'm talking to the individual, the person who has asked me that, I never need to use the third person pronoun. Oh, yeah. I, 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 you know, unless I'm Yoda, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, it's awkward. You don't talk to people in the third person yeah. of yourself or them. <laughs> it's only first person for myself and second person for the other, that's you. Right. And that's, there's no gender to you. Unless you want to sound like Yoda so or that... someone from the Jersey Shore, <laughs> let's not go to the third person. <laughs> that's right. And uh, but then when it comes to talking to about that person with someone else, that's when pronouns would be used when that person isn't there. Mm. Now, I don't think that we need to try to do things around them, but we can still almost avoid it. It might seem a little bit redundant, but we could just keep using the person's name, mm. and and that avoids the pronouns altogether. So I, I think we, you know, there's. We can find ways to be more creative and to help us in in the way that we're kind of walking with it, and you know ourselves. It's a journey too, as as we're uh, coming to uh, grips with with a person's individuals, uh, you know, navigating through these issues of gender uh, gender identity. Hmm. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask: You had a YouTube video that was. Um, the distinction between singleness and marriage and how most in Christian universities we have this push to get married and get your MRS degree yeah. and things like that. Um, oh, yeah. How can we support singles today? Because I have a lot of single friends, yep. and I would mm-hmm. love to hear your take on how can we support that. Oh, sure. Well, you know, we, we, we I've I, I got to say, you know, I, I think as Christians we – have failed when it comes to singleness. And mm. I think after, you know, the reformations in the 1500s, there was such a push of just I'm whatever we are, we're not Catholic. So anything that like looked mm. and smelled like Catholic, we, <laughs> we resisted so, you know, yeah, we did. And, and we, we the pendulum swung <laughs> yeah. in, in the other way. So celibacy, you know, priesthood, that's that's you know, yes, I do believe in the priesthood of believers, and uh, there is no other mediator except for Jesus Christ. Uh, but when it comes to celibacy, uh, or let's just say singleness, because yeah. uh, celibacy, I, I personally don't like the term celibacy. Uh, when it comes, because sometimes you say, "Oh, you're celibate now," or, or so you're calling people who have same-sex attractions mm, to be celibate. Okay. No, because and the reason is, for, 
well, and, uh, because celibacy can have a sense of just being celibate, like a temporary, like being it's equivalent to chaste or abstinent. However, I, I do believe uh, it, it has more, uh, there's, there's more background, there, there's more kind of history and baggage with celibacy as opposed to just abstinence sure. or opposed okay. to just yeah. chase. Well, and doesn't uh, it kind of speak more celibacy, to the, you were talking about how you don't identify as gay or straight or bi or anything, you identify right? as a follower of Christ, and if you're talking exactly. about celibacy, well, then you're focusing solely on the act of sex and nothing else about your life. Right, exactly. And so I, I don't, and, and also celibacy does kind of conjure up ideas of priests and sometimes the negativity of yeah, that sure. and abuse and all those scandals. And so I just kind of drop that. Um, but it also, on the other side, maybe on what people would think of as a positive side, you know, people then talk about as a vocation or as something that's lifelong. I don't, I would rather talk about singleness that is not necessarily lifelong because the majority of singles that are Christians in the church, they did not choose a vocation right. of celibacy. They did not choose mm-hmm, singleness mm-hmm. on their own. It was yeah. unchosen, and uh, you know, and, and and that's also another thing that people don't understand that you know, singleness or even the gift of singleness has to be chosen. I mean, I tell people singleness is default. There's, I've yet to meet anyone who's married, who's born married. <laughs> that's right. You know, you just you just are single. You're 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 that way from birth, and then you choose to be single, married later. And and yet no one ever really necessarily chooses to be single. Even people who are widows, they did not choose that. Yeah, that's right. It just happened, and they are. And and but we can we can choose to get married. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I think we've really failed in that realm, and we we've, we've got to do better. As a matter of fact, I I think that we need to. We're not even ready to address this issue of sexual identity or gender identity, or even sexuality in general, without first addressing this issue of singleness and, and redeeming it. Mm-hmm. We've, mm-hmm. we've relegated it to be a curse, and we've yeah. treated it, um, you know, like, like something that's second best. One of my good friends, she was a missionary in China for five years, went there single, came back single, and when she was back here in the U.S., several of her friends saw her, and they're so excited, and they all ask her similar questions like, are you dating anyone? Yeah. Do you have anyone special in your life? Yeah. And she's like, no, I don't. And you know how they responded? Oh, it will you? happen. You know, I know. <laughs> you know, they, they, it was, they got, she got pity from people. Yep. And, and the sad reality is singles in the church do not need our pity. They need our friendship. Amen. They need to be known that even though they might not have a family of their own, they belong to the eternal family, yeah. and that is the family of God. Yeah. And that is the one that is much more important than even our own families. Mm. You know, I think part of that, part of the thing also is that we misunderstand when Paul talks about singleness as a gift. You know, people, I think most people know about that verse, coming out of 1 Corinthians 7, that that's, Paul says that singleness is a gift, that being not married is, a, the word in the Greek, agamas, not married, uh, the closest equivalent to that is single. So it's, that's, it's, it's good, it's even a gift, and most single people that I know that are Christian, they don't like that verse. It's not, it's not like their life their verse. That's not the verse that they go to when they're feeling, you know, kind <laughs> totally, of down yes. or whatever. They just don't like that verse. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have friends that say, you know, I, I don't care what Paul says about that verse. What's the return policy on that gift? You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, give, give it back. Mm-hmm. You still got that receipt. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a bad Christmas present. I don't want that gift. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. I'm, I'm, I am single. I'm 46 years old. And I understand the challenges of singleness. And, you know, and yet there's also some blessings to that. And 
from what I hear from people who are married, there are a few challenges to, mar- to marriage as well. No. But there's also no. some blessings. Oh, no, it's easiest. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have no programs that we've thrown away because we got into a fight in the middle and didn't want to air the fight on uh, public radio. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, we realize, but, but in our culture, you know what we do, Ryan? We, we only talk about the immense blessings of marriage and the enormous challenges of singleness. Yeah. And that's the message that we give out in our culture, and that's what we give out even among Christians. Yeah. That, you know, after the Obergefell decision last year, yeah. June 26th, the Supreme Court, they, they legalized same-sex marriage in all 50 states, striking down state laws, several, several state laws. Yep. And the, the majority opinion was written by Justice Kennedy, Supreme Court justice. And it was, it's very interesting. You could see the whole majority opinion online. He, at the very last paragraph, he wrote something that was very interesting and totally telling of where we at, are at today in regards to marriage and singleness. He said, marriage is the highest ideal of love. Marriage is the highest ideal of love. Mm. You know, when I read that, I disagreed completely. As a follower of Christ, marriage is not the highest ideal of love. It's good, and it's even very good. God gives it to us yep. to be a blessing. And, it, and mm-hmm. it, there's challenges, but it's also there's, there's goodness that definitely comes out of it. It's a gift. But it's not the best. It is not the ideal of love. God is. Mm. God amazing. alone is. Mm-hmm. And the greatest expression of love that ever occurred to mankind is when Jesus Christ lays down his life for us. Mm-hmm. That's love. That's love. And as a follower of Christ, when, when people say something different, I need to respectfully disagree yeah. and, and help people to understand the beauty of what God really is. I mean, I'm sorry, what love really is. Yeah. Love is not sex. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know lots of people who have sex and they don't have love. That's, <laughs> that's a misperception yeah. that these younger generations have. They think that the, the most intimate expression of love is sexual intimacy. That's not... It's, it's, uh, that's that's probably maybe a, a very close expression of physical intimacy, but not the closest expression of love. Right. Or even, let's say, even rom- romantic love. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the most intimate that I could be with another person. I mean, I know some people who are romantic, and they don't really truly love one another. It sometimes complicates things even more. Mm. Uh, so it's not love, it's not sex, it's not romance. The greatest expression of love is Jesus Christ yep. himself. That's right. You know, God sent his son. That's it's sacrifice. Oh, you know? It's such a sacrifice. Love is not something that happens to us. That's that's another thing. We we think that love is something that happens to me. Love is completely something. It's 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 a sacrifice. It's not something that that occurs to me or something that I feel. It's something that that I do to others. That's right. It's, it's completely other. Christopher, when that decision came out last year, you published something. Uh, what was that, and how was it received? Yeah. Yeah, I co-authored a response. It was a short response, only a page and a half, and I and and I co-authored it with my really good friend, Dr. Rosario Butterfield, who's got a. Uh, uh, she also has a similar background, similar in the sense that she she was uh, a lesbian, and uh, well, actually, she described herself as as a feminist, and she would say I was a consistent feminist in that she lived her life as a feminist consistently and um, was in a lesbian relationship uh, and. She was a professor at Syracuse University, tenured, very um, mm-hmm. intellectual and extremely smart. And her PhD and postdoctorate work was in queer theory and feminism. 
she wanted to study the religious right, and part of her research was she needed to read that book that those crazy religious people, <laughs> Christian religious right people, <laughs> read, and that's word. the Bible. Be careful. And, yes, and she read it as an English professor, using her hermeneutics and you know critical thinking, and and God just rocked her world. Wow. Through reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and through a loving relationship with an elderly pastor and his wife, um, she was shown Jesus. Wow. And she knew that she that that the way that she was living was, you know, I, I love it. She says this in her book. She says, uh, my biggest sin was pride. Hmm. She said everything around me was pride. She had pride flags. She had pride, you know, her dog, you know, ate from a little pride uh, doggy bowl, you know, is on a doorstep, everything, every, her biggest, you know, and she had to give up herself. Mm, yep. So we co-authored something together in response because we saw lots of people responding, and there, and there were some very interesting responses, both sides, and, and we could kind of put them into two categories. One, of course, celebrating, what you know, what, what people would call marriage equality, and the other other side, people grieving, yeah. and then, you know, Kind of giving their commentary and and oftentimes ending up to, you know reiterating and reemphasizing what traditional marriage is. Yeah. And what we saw was a mistake on both sides. Was uh, what we saw is an overemphasis upon marriage. So we wrote our response and we called it something greater than marriage. It's online. You can find it uh, in different places. Christian Post reposted it. I'll link it on uh, our website. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Say the, what's the title something again? Greater something marriage. greater than marriage. Something greater than marriage, and 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 it was pulling from Justice Kennedy's response that marriage is the highest ideal of love, and and we just we need to be able to clearly articulate why it's not. It's good, marriage is certainly good, and it's very good, but it's not the best. Yeah. Wow. I like it. I like it. Christopher, it's been a great discussion. I'm so glad you joined us today. Thank you for your work. Please continue doing it. And I'd love to reach out to you, you know, periodically just to talk about the subject. It's not going away. People are still hurting and we want to be there for those that are in need and those that are hurting. So if you could be a resource for us, we would appreciate it. I'd love to. So good to talk with you, Ryan and Laura. Thank you. Have a great one. Oh, special thanks out to Christopher Yuan for being so honest, vulnerable, open, and wise in this discussion. It's one we all need to listen to. We all need to have. Thank you, Rebels, for listening. Thanks for sharing this with your friends. Thanks for helping the podcast grow. Thanks to MyPillow.com. MyPillow.com for a code word rebel for a discount on a pack of pillows and the voice of the martyrs. Persecution.com is their website. Definitely check them out. Helping those being persecuted for the gospel for more than 50 years. God bless, Rebels. We'll see you soon. Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House and when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. That's R-E-B-E-L and the number is 444-999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.